Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. Doesn't John normally go next? No, we go round robin. Do we? Yes. I feel like they don't know how we're sitting. They just see disorganization. That's true. I'm Matt, (laughs) a.k.a. Stormageddon. And I'm John, also a host. I'm technically a host. (laughs) We're all hosts. Quite belated. Co-hosts, if you will. Co-co. That's the word, right? Yes. So I'm the host, and you're the co-host. Coasts, if the H just... That's adorable. You gloss over that. Thank you. I'm the host, and you're obviously the co-host. That's not going to (laughs) happen. I mean, Can he Steve, be more belittling? I mean, Steve is clearly the editor. <laughs> like, there's no questioning that. That's yeah, true. No, you're no longer <laughs> this is host. True. Wait, no, that's Steve. not a demotion. Or actually, it's sort of a promotion, depending. Host, editor, but by being the editor, I get control over who does what and who says what. Which no, you don't get control over like the, You just allow the ho- things I'm the host overlord. How about that? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah there's a handbook I need you to read. <laughs> Anyway, well, I guess we do have an album to do. <laughs> yeah, but maybe um, we should do that. Did everyone enjoy do. last week? Shall I bring that up? I mean, because it w- it's a little bit connected. Well, it is. Um, I I think that uh, it was it was fun to kind of play around with the format and experiment with structure and actually dive deep into the alternative medium besides the music. I yes. think that was was interesting. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much. Um, there was some chatter on the internets um, from some of our listeners saying that they were excited to check that out. Um, I also posted it in my usual Facebook places, including the Scoop Group, which is a gathering place for all fans of the Ice Cream Social podcast. Mm-hmm. And someone spoke up saying, oh, I love that game. I was like, great, I can't wait to hear what you think of the episode. Yeah. And they said they'd listen. So It's getting so, some circulation. Yeah. And yeah, it was probably the first actual soundtrack soundtrack, like an assembled group of songs that we've ever done. Maybe a little bit in episode 23, the Wreck-It Ralph soundtrack had, had a songs few songs that score. were featured. Right. Yeah. But the other two things that we did were scores. So yeah, we changed up the format last week and I quite enjoyed it. And it is for that reason that we are doing the band that we're doing today. Uh, I decided to go with uh, just one of the bands that was featured on that soundtrack and that was the band Message to Bears because it intrigued me very much so. It was the track called Mountains and it is is not on the album that we're doing. We're doing a newer album uh, called Carved from Tides, which was only recently released. And uh, it's basically the one-man project of the, the one man, which is Jerome Alexander. Uh, he's a Brit, and he's got several albums out. He's been doing this for several years now. And I just thought I'd read... Uh, what you can actually find on his Bandcamp page here. You can find this little description of the artist and of the album in question, because uh, it will probably explain more than I could ever explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's also very promotional, so be warned. On Message to Bear's fourth LP, Carved from Tides, Jerome Alexander throws all caution to the wind and delivers an experience emotive enough to tug at every fiber in a heartstring. Released on July 1st, Carved from Tides sees Jerome eschew the arbitrary boundaries that have been erected between synthetic music and music made on more traditional instruments. Uh, Lead single, I'll Lead You There, is exemplary. 
it just says that. Okay. <laughs> it's exemplary. Starting with a gloomy acoustic arpeggio that wouldn't be out of place in the hands of Elliot Smith or Nick Drake, its folky textures are soon penetrated by a thudding beat over which collaborator Will Sampson lends his tender reverberating vocals. The heart-wrenching mood of the arrangement lends it a depth of feeling that characterizes the whole LP. Uh, Jerome's love of ambient music is highlighted in the opener Never Be. It's a cinematic start to the album, replete with sweeping synths and strings. The muffled piano lends some rhythmic shapes to its openness. He's doing our job for us. I was going to say, you keep reading this and (laughs) you could just go home. All right. Well, maybe I'll make our job easier. Uh, It ends tempestuously with thunderous bass raging against the dying synths as it refuses to go gently into the night. Oh, he's speaking my language here. Of his mentality when creating a car from Tides, Jerome says, now this is his words, Uh, the album is supposed to reflect a transitional period in one's life, referencing change in circumstances, decisions, relationships with others, and evolution as an individual, whether subtle or not, which thereby influences uh, where you are now, and realizing wherever you are now is okay, and that you are in a constant state of flux. When writing it, I was going through what felt like a very transitional period myself, and I guess this was my way of processing it. So that's what he has to say himself, and then it continues to describe the album a little bit. Composed, recorded, and produced between both his home and studio in northeast London over the past year, Card from Tides is Jerome's most sophisticated work yet. The title refers to the capacity of something fluid and transitional to be able to affect and mold what appears to be solid and stable over time. It is through the fluidness of Jerome's approach in not pigeonholing instruments with expectations of what sort of music they should make that Jerome achieves just this. The fluidity of the music itself is the tide that he carves his masterwork from, which is where the title derives itself, mm-hmm. and the success he achieves here is solid indeed. All right. Again, he's giving his own review. <laughs> or I mean, his publicist. Well, is, yeah, is. I was going to say that he probably didn't write that. I'm sure a publicist or someone else or someone on his team, so to speak, wrote it. Um, but I think it's interesting that we get to return to the one-man band, which we've talked about before, your Trent Reznor's and, and, and so on, you know, who are one person who engulf a band and do all of the work. And so I'm excited because I feel like when you're dealing with an artist who operates that way versus an actual band that's all multiple input points, it just it shows a different kind of um, virtu- virtuosity. Yeah. And I'm interested to explore that, especially considering Mountains was one of the more heart-wrenching songs on the Life is Strange soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And after like sort of poking through this album, I, I chose it as a whole, knowing that that one track was not just the odd man out. Yeah, that it was representative, representative of-, of his overall sound. Um, and yeah, of course I'm joking here, but I largely agree with most of what was said. I think it's a pretty good way of describing it. And uh, But as always, it's a little more complicated. That's why we are doing this episode. Right. I think it's a nice jumping off point for our, our discussion of the album, which yeah. we don't always have. I do hope to get into some of the discussions along the lines of the reasons why in which he made this album in particular. I mean, he already has several albums out. I think he's been releasing since 2007, but right. this is the transitional period in his life. So, I mean, which is, you know, we kind of had hints of, but it's it's definitely very apparent here. Yeah. Well, also, we're, we kind of have the video game uh, Life is Strange fresh in our mind and the circumstances surrounding the the usage of his work in right, that game. Right, and so it, we, of course, have tried to divorce ourselves from that, but I definitely get a feel of Life is Strange from this record just because that music, that song in particular was very impactful to me for that soundtrack. I wouldn't have chosen it if I wasn't moved. <laughs> right, exactly. I wouldn't even say that it's the feel of the game Life is Strange. 
And to jump into the first track, Never Be, the style of Life is Strange can be categorized as a coming-of-age story. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very hipster-oriented, very low-key, very, you know, small world kind of a feel to it. Well, 18-year-olds don't know they're hipster yet. Yeah, they can know their Proto hipster. Pro- uh, ooh. ooh, you're <laughs> okay. We're getting That's into dangerous. deep character. Yeah, it's but, but they're forgiven until they're in their twenties. I think. <laughs> right, exactly. But in general, it tends to be saunter. That's the style of that aesthetic. A, a slow build it to culminating time. pieces. Yeah. So for never be to start with a very simple humming rise. And to just build in a little bit of deep drops. Yeah, I can see the definite connection between the game we just reviewed or soundtrack game. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, it was a game review in many ways. And this track, seeing the connection between the two, very easy. Right off the bat, mm-hmm. first few seconds. Sure. And I like that the the synth rise here, because we're dealing with a lot of electronic tones on this record. And to start, you've got this kind of humming synth. It takes its time. I mean, even in the first like minute or so, it's mostly just a subtle hum with very minor changes. Which is why I do think a lot of this album could be described as ambient mm-hmm. until the percussion sets in and then you can no longer use that word. But whenever it's not there, then yeah, there's a lot of uh, an ambient quality to this music. Um, but of course, there are also, it's not purely elect- electronic either. Right. It's il- like ambient in terms of uh, what was mentioned earlier. Again, in the write-up that pretty much did our job for us. <laughs> the, uh, the fact that there are... In instruments that are synthetic and also instruments that are real. Um, in this case, you do have a violist who I was very impressed with. This is performed by, uh, the viola is performed by Tim Gill, and it is found on tracks one, two, four, five, and nine, so keep your ear open. And I I immediately heard it around, let's say, a minute and a little prior to a minute. You hear it in these long drones, but then occasionally these little swells. And I will never stop adoring how stringed instruments in the broad, but specifically the viola because of its register, can just fall rapidly into a vibrato and then also intensify in that instance as well. Kind of like a quick flutter, sort of a a heart palpitation. It's absolutely thrilling. Just shivers go up and down my spine whenever it occurs. And And, and also he changes the chord just subtly at that moment too, which changes the emotion of this first minute's aesthetic. Yeah, and that's why, like... What I was talking about, how subtle it is, is like those moments that happen even after, prior to and after the first minute are still not in your face. You have to listen for it. And they're, you know, they're just... barely there, which I think is really cool. This moment actually was a little more prominent than that, only because it did seem to really have a a brief crescendo, and then it it fell away. It It was also when we were starting to get an actual new thing showing up. And this viola, what what it does just artfully for me is it rolls around and sort of pretends to be a melody, but never really coalesced into one. Because as it's going along, and it's providing just texture, texture on top of, well, a drone in many ways. I would overall say it's just color at this moment. Yeah. It just doesn't seem formed enough to be a melody. Yeah. What's great is as it goes along, when the piano and the tapping comes in, in the very bare-bone sense, and starts pairing off with this color of the viola, that's when the, the whole track just seems to solidify from really amorphous ideas into an actual, like, piece, an actual very solid picture. Yeah. yeah. I, I would also argue that at this point in the record and in the track, we're kind of left to stew. We're intended to kind of just exist in this moment and kind of take it in, you know, not 
not, you know, even though we're here to analyze, you're you're really meant to just kind of be enveloped in it. Yeah, you do have to pull back at some point and figure, well, what is the purpose of this music? It right. is supposed to be atmospheric, mm-hmm. so we can't exactly rate it on the same grounds that we rate other things. It's not about content necessarily. It right. depends. I mean, content is a very broad term, but it's sure. not about, like, like lyrical content. There are lyrics here. They don't come I mean, in until about halfway just, through, though. They really don't. Um, but let me just read them to get a sense for even how vague they are once mm-hmm. they do appear. We saw the fire before we heard our name. I saw yours behind the trees again, and that's it. That's it. It repeats, it repeats a couple that times, yeah. over and over and over. But that's 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 pretty vague. The, the vocals here remind me a bit of what we got with M83, and the fact that there there's a lot of reverb and they're very echoey. They're intended to be an instrument and part of the instrumentation of the song more so than to be a narrative storytelling. Yet, yeah. at the same time, I would still say that. What they do is not just be a part of the the backdrop of what the instruments are doing, but also to sort of solidify the idea that's going on with the instruments themselves, because they're giving you a little bit of context, just a little of where you should be coming from when you're feeling everything else. Because on top of just these lyrics, as especially... From that part I mentioned earlier, when the viola really steps up and then you get that electric piano, things, as they solidify, you start getting other ideas, like the percussion line that not only shapes what's going on with everything else, but does, in fact, change the hum, the backdrop that was almost white noise at this point, that starts pulsing along with it. Well, I'll get into that in a second, but to swing back to what you were saying about the lyrics and how they provide context, I wouldn't say they provide, like, an ample amount of context, but no. I do want to bounce back to something you said off air, which was kind of almost like an offhanded phrase uh, that this is, oh, it's a love album, right? Um, And, you know, you do get the sense that there's passion here. Mm -hmm. You also get the sense that there's sorrow. And I guess we just have this inherent desire to put that together and that it must be a kind of like heartbreak. You know, you read the word earlier that it's a transitional period in his life. You don't know what that means, right? This is all just postulation at this point. But you can fill in those gaps. And then when you do get little words here in the lyrics, such as, we saw the fire before we heard our names. It does sound like a kind of like pair situation. Yeah. And then I saw yours behind the trees again. I'm not even going to begin to interpret that, but it's just shades of meaning here on now, which I do think are very easy to apply like to your own life. Well, I think uh, like he, it's not so overbearing his per, his uh, perception, his his point of view. Right. Well, I'd say, and this becomes more apparent as we go through the album. But this is more about what the album makes you feel than what he wanted to make you feel. I think this is more an album that you're supposed to imprint on. Sort of like a good... I he wanted us to feel a few things, but he left a lot of doors open. Right. I feel like in the same way when we talked about Life is Strange last week, and I promise this is the last time I'm referring to it, the (laughs) way uh, Max is kind of... has character, but is also sort of a blank slate because you're meant to inhabit her shoes. Mm -hmm. I think this music has the same kind of structure where there is some emotion that he intends for you, but a lot of it is just bringing you into the emotional landscape and you pull what you want from it. I have no doubt that in a general sense that's probably why uh, his music was chosen for the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, But now to swing back to what you were going into, John, and that was the the the, drums. uh, The pulsing and the percussion. There was, it was around that moment, I mean that becomes kind of a feature throughout this album, but you get little glimpses of it here in the beginning. 
and when it first appeared, I didn't expect it. Just for the first track, I expected something that was a little more in line with the first minute, something mm -hmm. that was slower, less percussive, a little right. more ambient. Um, but when it came in, I, I was surprisingly impressed because mm -hmm. I realized what a phenomenal mix this was. I mean, everything is just so crisp that as busy as it is around this point, as, as scattered as that percussion sounds, everything is really very well balanced. Yeah. There's nothing that sounds drowned out next to anything else, so it shows his production talent overall. It blends really well, and uh, when the lyrics do finally come in and, and join in in this sound, I feel like it really... it. John's right, it does, you can kind of surmise an emotional state from the words being said, but mostly it just sounds really cool the way it kind of reverbs off the percussion and the instrument, the other it is, it is pretty slather with reverb. It's the yeah. only thing where you, you almost can't quite hear what's going on. That right. becomes more of a problem later in the album. Here, I don't think I had as much of a problem, but and, again, and it was not like you'd enough. glean a lot of information from it. Correct. Uh, what I would say was probably one of my favorite parts about this track was in addition to the viola which was probably it's in a tie for the top <laughs> it really was that keyboard sound that John mentioned yes. it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like an, these 8-bit flourishes um, which at times sounds more pleasing than at other times because it depends on how it's, it's kind of sort of balanced with the other instruments like mm -hmm. I remember around 3 minutes and 30 seconds it sounded uh, really pleasing just because of the chord that it was on. Mm -hmm. So it had to do with the combination of the, the, the timbre, the texture, and the chord, all things working together in this instance. But uh, and, and lastly, I liked how they lingered by themselves. When they weren't blended with everything else toward the end of the track, they were the only things left standing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like the penultimate moment of the track because the actual end was like these two lingering ambient chords yeah. at the very end. But and this they, is just prior to that, the holdover from the previous busier section yeah. that just bled in and felt kind of like a transitional element. Just the keyboard, this little 8-bit thing, which was really beautiful. And it's the first sense we really get of what kind of, like you had said, what kind of percu percussion we're going to get on the album, which I also was very impressed with. I, I think because it's a very different kind of percussion than we're used to, at least lately, for what we've been doing. We've done, Lord knows we've done plenty of electronic in the past. Um, but going Going back to what you meant about how the song ends, how it's these two lingering chords that just kind of fade out, mm -hmm. what I like is it feels like that percussion almost fractures the one single drone from the beginning into these two droning notes. Which yeah. actually makes a lot of sense because like I said before, it, the, the, the drone, the hum, was pulsing in time with mm -hmm. a lot of the, the, the kick drum sound that was being used as uh, one of the major lines of the percussion. It, it was warping a little bit. and. It's hard to pick out, but the hum itself felt like it was changing pitch. In those Which I don't instances. know that it actually was. No, it but was, everything around it, felt, it was yeah. allowing it to without no, I think it even was. really... It might have been. But it, 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 it's it's a weird and it's a weird argument that you can make without actually seeing the line uh, that was being used in this. You can't really call for certain one way or the other. It's yeah, nice. I could call for certain. I'm just not sure what you're talking about. No, forget about you. <laughs> um, there's other elements that we haven't even touched upon yet, like the techno bongos that showed up and have a, a weird cadence all by themselves or the fact that there's a little bit of a bridge with a pure piano an actual real piano being used to sort of contrast the electronic piano that was used earlier like there's a lot of going on in this very well these with the track. techno bongos that's i kind of just felt that was under the umbrella of the uh, pitter patter percussion that yeah. i described yeah, but in it the was, broad but it was it, a it little is, bit it is important to, by itself to pick yeah. out individual things it's true yeah um and also there were moments where it became far more intensified around like uh four minute 35 where the drums were actually mixed more in the forefront and then slathered with reverb themselves so there are a lot of dynamic changes 
changes over the course, I think it becomes a, a, a question of how do you want it to progress? Like, yeah. do you want this to fizzle to a close? Do you want it to reach a big height? Yeah. If these are the, the, the sort of vague, broad emotions that you're already approaching this with, then it becomes kind of up to whim. Yeah, the whims of your imagination, his becomes, imagination. It becomes interpretation, both on you and him, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's go to track two, Blossom. Um, this is where we get the viola up in the front. Um, the intro has this, those beautiful... Well, not quite up in the front. In the well, very beginning. The very, very beginning, beginning. It starts off almost like a church organ. That's right? true. Just like the yeah, yeah. slow, stately, the slow, stately chord progression. Like someone is taking long steps in the aisles, like, you know, <laughs> up to the altar or something. But then the viola enters with its own melody of sorts. And this was a, a distinct melody mm -hmm. um, with notes that were about as long as the chords themselves and sometimes a couple at a time. Yeah, and that I guess that's why I jumped straight to the viola because that was so memorable for that intro, whereas it was kind of peppered in the previous track. Here, it was front and center, I think. I actually would disagree that, honestly, the viola was... It was beautiful by itself and in tandem with, uh, I, I kind of want to call it the whistling organ because it felt like it yeah. was just, the, that's, that's what the kind of aesthetic that it was going for right there, sort of a nonchalance in its delivery. But it was when the xylophone steps in with just like bare notes to, to, to be almost obvious in its in its positioning, but also to really complement the the shifts as the viola was changing obvious, from one chord to the next to the next. Obvious meaning that you felt that it was just the, the obvious choice of well, the obvious choice of instrument to include at that moment. It I was the know. obvious sort of timbre to include in those sort of a moments to break up what the viola was doing. Something with a chime. Something with a nice yeah. hard right, edge I, to I it. See yeah. That. But when the xylophone does come in mixed with the other instrumentation, it gives this kind of lullaby feel, you know, because I mean, a lot of lullabies that I've heard in the past, you know, you have a playful xylophone to, because I mean, who has a xylophone as an adult? Typically, it's a kid's <laughs> instrument. Well, like, think, that's not true. No, no, but I mean, think In like, orchestras. Well, think about, no, but I'm, what I'm saying is like, as a non-instrumentalist, as a kid, most kids have xylophones. They're usually made by Fisher Price. Tons of tons yeah, of toy companies true. put them out. And so Playmate. It's 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 some of them look like pianos, but they're actually uh, xylophones. xylophones. But th that's what I meant mostly. Is if you're not instrumentalist, still as a kid, odds are of a certain era you owned a xylophone, and so it kind of gives me that childlike whimsy when right. I hear. Right, I see your point. Yeah, it yeah, anchors yeah. you back to something simpler, something yeah. uh, daintier, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, and then you combine that with uh, an actual like upright piano here. It sounded like just like a misty upright piano, which we've described ad nauseum in so many other yep. situations because it's just uh, the guy and the piano. In the Except it's not the I don't guy know with the piano here. It's not an auditorium. Yeah. yeah, well, he's not in the auditorium. He's in the clouds. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, when when these tones come in, when the xylophone, the piano comes in, that's when the viola really starts to shine, mm -hmm. though, because that's when it really gets expressive. It gets energized with the rest of what's going on. It, it decides to actually, you know, be itself and mm -hmm. act, and take a step forward, which is the first time it's actually doing this. We're like eight minutes into the album. Like, yeah. it's the first time that a mainstay instrument is stepping forward and one that's powerful all on its own. Yeah. And what I like 
what follows is when we get the similar percussion to what we'd gotten previously, right. but it, it, that same kind of tapping electronic percussion, this comes in at the exact same time as the vocals, and they kind of add another layer at the same time. They're very well blended together. Very Again, another case of, of great blending, but it, I noticed that the, the percussion was a little bit different this time. Right. Like, it was made up of different components, but maybe still had the same slightly similar rhythmic structure. It had, it was made more of like a hi-hat, mm -hmm. and maybe like just either the drumsticks or like playing the rim of the yeah. snare, and then maybe woodblocks in addition to that. Again, I could be pulling this out of the air, but right. that was, it's in I mean, that you're vein. relating it to a sound that you kind I'm of hear. On the hi hat, right. right? Okay, but to speak on this percussion line, this is where I got a negative. I feel like when it does step in, the vocals work well with the tempo we had already really established. But while the percussion doesn't change the time signature itself, it feels like it speeds it up a little bit too much. Well, the long sweeps of this viola of the hums and the touches and the taps and all the things we're describing, when it's contrasted with this very electronica sound, it does a lot to energize it negatively for me. Um, it, again, it depends on your whim, yeah. your perception it's, of what you want the track to do. Well, I, think I can that, only I, give mine. I think that in <laughs> principle, it's very similar to the first track because it has the same exact uh, progression in that it starts off very delicately, mm -hmm. very serenely. You would imagine that it's going to be the kind of track that if it played longer, like upwards of 7, 11, 15 minutes that you could just zone out mm -hmm. to. We really find some sense of serenity. But then, yeah, the pitter-patter comes in and it just it, it turns it into a more, like, I don't want to say a techno-oriented track, although it, it, rhythmically it does have those elements, a little more complex. But, um, but yeah, that just, it kind of takes you away from that feel, I guess. I don't know if I could necessarily zone out to it. Yeah. Some people could, though. It depends on what you like to zone out to. Maybe you can zone out to the rhythm itself. I mean, my final point on this track, I feel like, and, and, and to follow up what you both are saying about that kind of shift, is I feel like... I feel like it doesn't take away from the song. I absolutely agree, John, that does make this kind of change that you're acknowledging, but I'm okay with it. I think I like the way this kind of shifts. It makes it less obvious, and considering you were saying there were certain choices earlier on that you felt were a little obvious for the track, mm -hmm. I enjoy that that percussion stepped out of that obviousness. I felt yeah, like it, made, is... it almost made the song blossom, if you will. Aww. And so, like, I just... I was on board for that because it kind of took this shift of turning from one thing to another. So that's the I, next step is short of actually saying the title of the track, like yeah. in your lyrics. Right. And like, would one say that we're blossoming at the moment? I I do agree. It's a bit of an oddball for me to have basically complaints on opposite side of the aisles yeah. right here. But but I'm still not fully behind the aesthetic change that it goes through, with the exception that there's an. I believe an upright bass that steps in. It, it's got mm -hmm. that that feel to it. That is a pairing between the shortness of the beat and the length of the viola. It's somewhere in between. And it does a lot to bring everything together, to keep everything connected between the two. It grounds you a little bit. I do think there are, there are specific instruments that were chosen for their ability to blend these two styles. Um, but that is even assuming they are really two. I mean, they are two styles, but he re would really make it seem as if it's just one. Like... Overall, despite that you may prefer one section over the other, this is not an album that I think we're at any point going to be using the word be like, these two sections are separate, they're, they're divorced. They're in, it's nothing like that. In fact, I think this is one of the most blended uh, uh, tracks, blended um, albums that we've encountered within the tracks themselves. Like, the arc of the track is emotionally 
it may kind of throw you one way or the other, but compositionally, it's all very smooth mm-hmm. and very effortless. You feel like it just yields a new section and then it just tapers off. Nothing is like explosion right here. Yeah. You know, we're in a new place. It's it's not that. He's a lot more tasteful. Uh, the last thing I want to say about this track is just those lyrics, which are almost, they're not <laughs> substantive enough to really speak that much about, but it's simply the lines, don't let me in. Yeah. Don't let me in, which... He blurs it so much, and again, so much reverb there, it sometimes just sounds like he's saying, don't let me, don't yeah. let me. Maybe he yeah, is. the in gets times, lost. The in really does get lost. Or maybe he, it appears at some point later at the end. But the, the only way to, to connect that to anything is by connecting it to the lyrics of the first track. Right. And then it's almost like, well, with the few lyrics that you do get in this album as a whole, you could kind of string them together <laughs> to equal the amount of lyrics that you'd find in a normal-length song. Right. Um, so, uh... Needless to say, keep that on hold. We're going to put that in the shelf. We're going to come back to it once we have Libya's stanzas worth. Let's go to track three, Breathe. Um, This track probably was the most serene of the three. And uh, if we were playing favorites at this point, I would still say that track one is so far my favorite, the intro of track one. Well, this one kind of comes close to a tie. You have this airy mist in the background, but then it's accompanied by a piano doing something excruciatingly simple. It's just... A broken like like sus four uh, piano chord. It's just like the the one four five one four five. That's it. Not even really. You don't even have a sense of like major or minor or mm-hmm. anything. That's all it's doing. It's like this it, because it it reaches up toward five. You get the sense that the piano is caught in a loop. It keeps reaching for something. There is a lot of longing here. When you combine that with the mist, I was really really into this this opening setup. That said, there's not a lot of changes uh, for a while. The opening setup actually does a lot to describe how this track progresses because as we go along, elements appear and then disappear and then appear and disappear and the whole track just seems to sort of wax and wane. It's very much a, it, it, it's a wave. It really is a wave and I mean both the function and something that you find in the ocean. It just rises and falls by introducing new elements. Some of the elements that come in early on that I really enjoyed, like the synth brush kind of a feel. That was a very cool little aesthetic choice. On top of that we get those tapping glitches. Yeah, little electrical taps. Yeah, they're they're pretending to be a piano, but it sounds like something almost short-circuiting. This is probably when I've really fully realized that I think my favorite thing about uh, Jerome here is that his percussion is unique and very interesting. Like, I have not heard percussion like this. I have, but I will say... Not utilized in this way. Exactly, and Um, that's what makes it very intriguing. And also, this is the first track where we're getting vocals truly as an instrument. There's no lyrics here. It's just, you know, oohs and ahs, a lot of onomatopoeia. These are vocals by Gemma Alexander. Well, I guess she's the vocals. The vocals are not by her. They're her. (laughs) Right. Um, Uh, She's the one that's not really doing anything. It's just, yeah, sounds. She's making sounds, yeah. But technified, but run through an auto-tuner to give, give a little bit of extra texture to contrast against, once again, the very natural feel of everything else. What I like about this song is that even though um, it kind of stays about the same throughout, it feels like it's moving because of the way it waxes and wanes. And I think the glitch tapping kind of percussion is what really kind of pulls me in because I think it's what I liked best about this track. Um, but you do get a sense of kind of running in place. Uh, yeah, actually, that's a really good example because uh, immediately after this major like rise comes in, it falls apart and it rebuilds into something that is like a full piano, but with 
you know, nods towards the glitch line, which allows the piano to quote unquote like get frantic, mm-hmm. at least for how yeah. fast this is. It does work upon itself. Like everything works in a Rube Goldberg kind of situation where one thing causes another to do something. That's actually a really good way of putting it, I think. <laughs> Which I really enjoy the yeah. aesthetic. It's just here there's too many edges being filed off. I don't feel like the heights we're reaching are anything more than a, a plateau that it establishes with the first rise. Well, the only thing is there's an inherent, maybe there's a Freudian slip there in that being a Rube Goldberg machine, it feels like it may be logically building from one thing to the next, but it's not actually amounting to anything. Yeah, right. okay, yeah, that, no. that's an even better. I mean, I will say that I felt less of <laughs> in an... In the critical vein. <laughs> I felt less of an emotional connection to this song and kind of just liked existing in the space. This was less identifying mentally and kind of more just sinking into it, which was fine. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I do, especially compared to the last two tracks, I can see how it might fall a little short as far as delivering something specifically. I really liked the intro. I guess it's more the development of it was too similar to what the previous tracks did. Um, In principle, again, not by from element to element. Those things are very very different, but in principle, in terms of how it makes you feel and how it evolves, it feels like it started off in a place that was different from all three tracks, but it ended up going in kind of the same place. Um, I just, I wish I could be more specific than that, but again, this is all about impressions. Yeah, it's it's a lot harder to be that specific on this album, for sure. Even the title, Carved from Tides. Yeah. Like, can't carve a tide. <laughs> well, right, but you explained earlier yeah, what that I know, actually I know, I know. You could do it with a surfboard, but that's something that I don't think that aesthetic shows Moving up Moving right on. <laughs> well, let's go into track four. Spin slash float, and this one is featuring Gemma Alexander as well, but proper as in she's actually singing words here. Well, you can you, you can hear what she's saying. She's she's saying actual words. There's, yes. there's <laughs> lyrics going on in this case, and she has a, a great voice. But before we even get to that, uh, I noticed a similarity to one of our one of my favorite bands and albums we've done in a very long time, we get a very Bored-esque drone introduction with one of the most interesting volume changes in a in probably the history of this podcast. And by Bored-esque, he means Boards-esque. Which, and by that, he means Boards of Canada-esque. And I by to, that, he means Tomorrow's we, Harvest-esque, episode 54 <laughs> Back in the day, when we did that a couple of years ago, one of the introduction ideas that they used was a drone. A drone that kind of builds on itself and allows other things to build outward. Well, here... It's even more interesting because we get a tone. It's a solid tone. There's really no fluctuation to it. But as you're listening, you hear strings emerge, and there's almost no identical part to hear where they first emerge. Well, see, that tone, if you're hearing the same thing that I'm hearing, it was just a viola, I think maybe it was the viola, just screeching away at the extreme high end uh, or sounding very distant at the same time. Um, And then at some point, there is kind of an eruption from this and it erupts into the vocals. But before but, that eruption, we get those flutters and that's what was so so beautiful that's about right, this That's part. right, that's right. Those little flutters of, I don't know if it's a second viola or if it's the same one doing it or if it actually was a viola tone that we were hearing. It's hard because there's no real change to the tone itself. So it could be natural, it could be digital, and I'm okay with it being There's nebulous. definitely a blurred line in this album I as love to what that. is real and what isn't. But those flutters are 
just a beautiful little bit of foreshadowing considering the eruption we get with the vocals and the guitar work. And I want to talk about the vocals because here's the first time the vocals really step forward for me and do something really powerful. And it's not necessarily what they're saying, it's how it's being sung because the harmonies here... And even just the manner in which they began. Like yeah. I said, I described it as kind of an eruption because it's so... so uh, it's prominent, and yeah. it's, it's not that's strange for this album because everything has been used just as tools, and now all of a sudden it's a spotlight. It's like they're on stage, like a darkened stage, and a bleached spotlight is is just riding on both of them. Maybe some dry ice is swirling around them. It's a very grand sound, and I think that's why it sounds more prominent. Right, and what I love is the true blending of their voices too, because these harmonies they're singing completely in tandem in that first verse, like at the same speed at the same time. It's almost trippy the way their voices blend. They are blended together but they're in opposition to everything else. Yeah. Which is weird considering everything else previously had been so blended. And that's why I think I really latched onto them because yeah. of how different they were in that moment. Uh, but the really close, plucky, metallic guitar that was being used alongside them didn't hurt. No. Because what that did was set up another sort of hesitant idea because it's, it's not grounded on anything yet. It's still sort of trying to find its identity and the identity that burst from it when the guitar goes full force when the viola steps in and actually starts complimenting it. And by full force, meaning it's just really so crisp and so close to the ear. I mean, it, it, it is really more about the blend. I guess it's, it's unfair to say that everything else is like separate. It is it is actually quite blended with the vocals. The, the guitar is, is almost just as prominent. It just seems like everything has been amplified in this track, despite that really it doesn't sound any busier. It's just a kind of item-by-item uh, item amplification. It feels like if you were miking a physical instrument closer, like, yeah. that's what it kind of feels like Everything here. is more intimate. And and what I like here is they're kind of back to taking their time and building, whereas, like, the previous two tracks kind of just went somewhere and stayed there. Here, you know, we are getting that build again, it, you know, and the tech percussion that comes in also here, while not the same as the last track or the track before, still has shades of the same kind of percussion. Yeah, this was almost like a, a, a DJ Scratch style. Where sort of, yeah. It had a very random feel to it, but was obviously working within the framework of the per, uh, percussion itself. And it played really well off of the deeper drum sounds that were being used as, as the major low end of the entire track. I would... It's, it's a good combination of frantic with nice and plodding and, and very stable. I would say, though, going back to what Steve was bringing up about the mixing and how stuff cer certain stuff does feel definitely closer, as the track progresses, I feel like the drumming almost, finger quotes drumming, the tech percussion, gets almost distracting. It's not, but it does mm. feel like it moves more forward than anything else, even if it's not actually mixed that way. It's just the way it's kind of hitting that I liked it, but had it been any more prominent or rapid, it might have distracted from the rest of the song. I think it's because everything was so short. It's just mm -hmm. these little, short little, I mean, I, I personally liked it. It just goes from this, right. like, tick, 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 yeah. it's just pattering around all over the place. Um, and then it, like, yields to the guitar, which just keeps going after that. This is like toward the end of the song. I find that after the intensification of the percussion near the end of the song, then it yields to the guitar. It's just the guitar by itself, but with little remnants of that percussive sound. A little like, little like scoops, little shloop, little shloop. On the, on the beat, on the beat, right with the guitar itself. And just kind of this little <laughs> lingering echo of it and that kind of leads us more toward the end of the song. So it was a nice dismount, I thought, of the percussion. Yeah, and I mean, it, 
it did end differently than the other tracks did as well. It was less of a kind of just fade out. I mean, yeah. a lot of the tracks do have kind of an ambient drone at the end, but here it did. It was a nice dismount. It did feel like well, the track ended. A lot of the tracks have an ambient drone in the beginning, so I mean, right, that's true. Having it at the end isn't anything different. Here, uh, Spin Float was one of my favorites. I'm just going to be right up front with that. Uh, I think there's only two others that might be in contention to it. But Spin Float, besides all the music that's going on, and while it does have a bit of rapidity to it, uh, as far as the sort of expanses we've gotten in previous tracks, I like the fact that the flow does seem to build in different ways mm-hmm. as we hit the different verses. And that was that was the curious thing. They were almost doing a verse-chorus structure. What I also like they is were. that the verses, the first verse is both of them together, then one verse is just Jerome, and then one verse is just Gemma. And I like that change from, it's, from, from moment to moment. It's not like he had to sacrifice his style or anything in order to introduce a song on this album that had a first chorus structure. Yeah. It still feels very much like him. It feels like they just kind of weave uh, in and out. Um, and in this case, the lyric that you get here, uh, it is a little, I'm not going to say it's terribly specific, but let's get into it. I wanted to come down and fall in you. I wanted to slow down and carve into chorus and I'm spinning higher and I'm spinning without you. Yeah, it, it definitely has this feel uh, yeah. of romance sort of, but you know, it's not again, it's not hyper specific. The lyrics <laughs> here are less about um giving a narrative and more about giving an idea, a concept, a feeling, a setting in in some no, ways. Barely even a setting, I feel With here. the back and forth of the meandering parts that are just, you know, sweet and very much the ambient versus when the chorus steps in, you get you tend to get those heavier you know, digitalized parts and heavier percussive parts, mm-hmm. it does show like the back and forth and sort of uh, without actually being tumultuous, it's showing chaos in, in a lot of ways. Well, this is where my hesitance comes from. I think it's more because of the, the lyric on and I'm spinning higher, spinning without you. It makes me like, is higher a good thing or a bad thing? It's traditionally a good thing, right? Yeah. People usually use, in especially in music, usually they're equating high, you know, to a kind of, like, opiate, you right. know, that a person's uh, company can be a kind of opiate, which is a really sweet gesture. But it also could mean, you know, that you're spinning higher as in, like, floating control, away. Maybe, yeah. Floating, like a balloon caught in an updraft, eventually you'll just disappear and then pop. And that could be a bad thing, in which yeah. case... Like, is he better off without her or not? I mean, the song we have so little information, but it's it's nice to it's nice to wonder. Yeah, no. I, what I like is that his stuff is so open to being able to imprint yourself on it. Like, even though he is definitely trying to convey certain emotions, you you're still kind of free to do as you please emotionally as well. Yeah, to a point. because then you, you compare that with the fir- with the verse, which is that I wanted to co- come down and fall in you. Is that as a warm blanket or as a Dependence, yeah, or you escapism. Yes, so little information, but uh, at least you feel it, right? At yeah. least you feel something that takes you down moods that could either bring you one direction or another. I, w- I know that's really broad, but the fact that music has that capability is pretty incredible. Right? Yeah, and you never want something that doesn't make you feel anything. That's the problem, unless it's designed to be numbing. Yeah, Even if we then, all walked away from this just saying "meh," then that would be an ultimate. That would be the failure. I think so too, but that's clearly not the case. Let's head on over to track five they ran um 
What I like about the synth on this track is that it's they're using the tech here in a very interesting way. It's kind of got this warp sound that almost makes you feel like you're moving in reverse. By using cutoffs and almost a doppler effect to the mm-hmm. string work, mm-hmm. it it's taking something we're familiar with and reintroducing it in another light, which is very, very nice, very refreshing to be able to step into the same aesthetic, but in a different setting. And it gives a sense of movement here. Even though I said it feels like things are warped and moving in reverse, it does kind of have this momentum to it, which I really enjoy. Even though there's an ambience which there has been across the album, I do get a sense of momentum here. Well, I think that momentum is carried by... This is one area where I'm going to kind of ground us in one capacity, <laughs> bring us down from the clouds here. We still got that four-chord progression. Yeah. It's actually very present throughout here, and I think that is the grounding element. It keeps us kind of trudging forward. Um, but uh, over that, I, I was very impressed by the tonalities created by simply the synth and the ethereal vocals amidst that four-chord progression. Ethereal. They weren't even ethereal. They were basically clouds. He was hitting such a high <laughs> register. And it was they were basically so water light. vapor. It was like <laughs> yeah. audible water vapor. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the lightest they've been. You can almost discredit them as coming from a voice like they sound like a sigh after somebody finished talking an hour ago yeah and and there's also these like these little elements of of voice leading in between that keep it going from one chord to the to the next chord that make that keeps it from feeling like a rote you know four chord progression um it's like everything is sort of being stirred in a cauldron and that that describes the album even to a greater extent and then when we get to around like the minute 30 mark there are deeper synth tones that come in which grounds it further i think like bass deep. Yeah, and I think that what I like about that introduction is we haven't gotten a lot of that in previous tracks, and it does really, like we were in the clouds in the previous track here, it does feel grounded, which adds more to that momentum. Well, in a lot of ways, it kind of changed perspective, because while I'm not really identifying with the vocalist, I understand that for once the vocalist is is a minor character. It sounds like the vocalist is actually a person saying words. Yes, even (laughs) though he's so far away, this is the perspective from the ground looking at Spin Float. Um, Uh, Because besides just the deep bass tones, we're also getting horns or like faux horns coming in they they feel like a trumpet and no, that's I'm for sure really... or it's for sure the trombone because we do have a trombone player on the right yeah this is the track that has uh justin lee radford playing trombone um, but they're messed with and that's yeah. where the it kind of gets wishy-washy even the stuff I'm... that is natural doesn't always feel natural which i until like until later on and we get an emergence of the natural strings they kind of yeah. overtake the glitchy doppler effect strings and it was a texture that was kind of necessary for this track because while we were being grounded, in a lot of ways we were kind of being removed from the previous places we were in this album. The first four tracks allowed you to float. Here, we lost a lot of our steps. Even though the four chord progression did keep you going, Yeah, we were outside of our territory. In this case, the the fact that the progression and the percussion of the track was leading us, it didn't allow us to move the same way the previous tracks do and what a lot of the later tracks do. We were drifting here. It was actually telling us where to go. and There was some guidance here. And that that was a bit of a change. Yeah. Some guidance and maybe, maybe at this point I would begin to use the word a little bit of stagnancy. It's tough because yeah. in terms of, like, the progression from one chord to the next, like, 
I guess that's the one problem with the four chord progression is because it felt like that didn't really change. Maybe it changed a couple of times, but I like everything within, yeah. you know, within that structure. I really like the voice leading there. But then if you expand that to the track as a whole, then this was a little less uh, progressive. Like it, it lost some of the strides that previous tracks were making. And that was in uh, no more prevalent than in the viola itself. I feel like even though the track itself had momentum, as far as the pieces that, uh, you know, comprised it, I think they did stagnate a bit. We were kind of staying in the same place the within this three to four minutes. individual instruments were the same role in right. each instance. And that also showcases a bit of a hiccup I have with Message to Bears as a whole, in that there's not a whole lot of culminating. There's not a whole lot of, like, heights or depths where you really get a deadpan or you really get a cacophony. Well, yeah, I think there's culmination, but there's no statement culminations, probably. Yeah, because the peaks that we do reach are really smooth. Once again, it feels like edges have been filed off, but in this case, uh, later on towards the end of the track, we get a, a nice, like, almost cacophony, almost statement, mm-hmm. almost a full stop on, on the piece itself. But it peters out before the phrase really finishes. Mm-hmm. This is... Uh, towards the latter third of it there's movement going on right here in fact uh, there's even like I, I likened it to like Nintendo startup tones where mm-hmm. you get a very like clear 8-bit noise coming in just playing around what it does is it, it builds up to a point but it, it arrests that build and then slowly finishes it off mm-hmm. it was a little bit unsatisfying that way yeah, I think we're all kind of in different ways saying the same thing. This track just kind of leaves you wanting, and it's the first time we've ever had an afterthought of a track. Up, oh, up, oh, artistic defense, because he's left wanting, therefore he well. makes us feel the same thing. I don't know, I'm just thinking because of the lyrics here. Yeah. Uh, say full of love, say full of love, and you run off and you go, and you run off and you run off and you go. When we talked about where we'd go, never thought of how we'd run. When we talked about where we'd go, never thought of how how we'd run. Um, and you run off, and you run off, and you go. Okay, so yes, artistic defense. I still think this song is probably <laughs> one of my least favorite to this point. <laughs> That's like saying... Artistic defense, no. <laughs> pretty much, that is like saying Basically that. said. Yes, I pretty much shut you down. I'm sorry to be a John about it. But I, well, you know... I wasn't married at the end. I, I know. I mean, I feel like you're not necessarily wrong. I just don't think it's strong enough. You know, we've often talked about how metaphors... Because it doesn't feel like a transitional song on this album. It just feels like a piece that that offered shades of what is already in abundance in other places, but but exaggerated and embellished there, not so much here. Yeah. All right, let's go to track six, Beneath Our Snow, which, by the way, I love that title. Really love that title. This is one of my favorites, to be upfront like John was previously. Um, The music box-esque tones we get here really likens it to even more of a lullaby than Blossom did. And it and it's, you know, it kind of really just sucked me in. It's like, oh, kind of Which moment. the music box tones, along with slightly little bit of piano work, yeah. and uh, an electric guitar, interestingly, that is only used in the beginning for its single notes. The plucked just, single just notes. Plucked long drones, which is a very r- rare usage, I think, of a guitar, except 
for post-rock, which actually some of this could be described as uh, electronica post-rock. It's pretty much teasing the guitar, letting you know it's there, but not yeah. giving you a lot of it. But I think what's stranger still is it because it's so clean. Mm -hmm. You know, that post-rock tends to add a lot of, like, flangers and reverb along with their long electric guitar drones, but because this is so clean, it's like it could it's be a, a crisp, you know, 1960s electric guitar, mm -hmm. and yet it's used for these long post-rock drones. Weird two worlds. Actually... It's not just that juxtaposition, but the fact that you're taking something that is slowly drifting between its chords, slowly uh -huh. drifting between notes, and pairing it up against something that those those sharper tones aren't just sharp. They're like glass. They're like the edge of a sword kind of a sharp. They're crisp, further crisp than just the guitar work itself. The two of them sound like opposites, but they work perfectly together. Well, yeah, and this song also is coming from, I feel like, a completely different place. I mean, everything is a lot crisper. Even when the vocals come in, this is the first time we're hearing his vocals probably with the least amount of reverb. There's still reverb, but it's definitely the closest and crispest he's been with the microphone that you can actually hear the, the tone of his voice, the inflection. You can, you know, it doesn't just blend into the instrumentation. It makes here. a big difference uh, considering that, again, there's so much reverb on this album. It really makes a difference to highlight those moments that are clean. And once again, the guitar is being used to pair up with the vocals, but in this case, it's it's doing something similar, but at the same time different, because not only is the guitar shaping his vocal work, which is, for the album, fairly complicated. He doesn't repeat things continuously anymore. Um, so we're getting concrete ideas, but the guitar also seems to be serving as a bridge of all the other ideas that were being used earlier to allow the vocals to exist on top of them. Well, let's get into the guitar, because there's a moment on, on this track and on the album as a whole, which I think stood out to all three of us, and it's actually when the guitar kind of changes its role from those single tones I described earlier. Around one minute, 15 seconds, the guitar actually has this much more prolonged, dynamic passage, like kind of a run-on sentence, almost rambly, but it's like the kind of sentence where you just have to pull back and say, that was good, man. That was a good <laughs> sentence. But because it felt like it was almost going into a solo, but it was actually just this little transitional piece, which I think then is, is the role that it maintains for the rest of the track mm -hmm. while the vocals are there. But it was a really standout moment, uh, probably a moment that I hadn't felt um, as impactful in this album it's probably since maybe even track one. Yeah. Uh, maybe track three with those, like, that beginning, that opening piano setup, but that kind of stuck around for a while. But, I mean, even track one would be the moment when I heard that, that viola flourish, that little crescendo. These are the moments that, like, really kind of... They're more, I want more of them on this album, I think. And, yeah, and I think the reason also that guitar line or run-on sentence, as you put it, is so impactful is because it was teased with those single plucked strings early on it kind of it's a tease in the same way burlesque is a tease like you're getting a little bit until you get what you really want yeah. and then it does kind of just become part of the structure of the song flawlessly like it's not like one of those things that fades into the background no. it fits into the rest of the the mix of music in a way that you're like, oh, it just adds. Now the structure is stronger for it. It was everything we talked about that we didn't like in the last track about how roles didn't, instrument roles didn't evolve. Here, it, it, you didn't even expect that particular role to evolve. That it, it gave you something you didn't know you wanted. Yeah. And it also gave us the wooden percussion that came in afterwards to really add a little bit of chaos on top of everything else. As regular as the percussion line is, it adds a nice breakup element to really beautifully mar 
everything that was going on, which I love the way it does kind of break up something that could have been monotonous, something that could have been long-winded and kind of boring. Wasn't. Right. But it does, it goes even further to break it up and kind of reinvigorate it without uh, necessitating anything to change. Yeah. Well, I think what's really also powerful about this track is that, like you mentioned earlier, we get a sense of character here for the first time. It's not really as clear-cut as a lot of other songs, finger quotes, character, but it's more of a person than we've gotten throughout most of the record. Most of it's kind of just been obscured in cloud and fog. Here, there's a person singing and there's a message here. Yeah, <laughs> instead of just scenery. Yeah. Instead of just the the, you know, nebulous colors coming into and turning into la- nice landscapes. Here we get a bit of portraiture going on. Let's, here we get a bit just, of it. Let's see if that's reflected in the lyrics. Beneath me, beneath you, beneath me, under the snow I found you, beneath me beneath me and you're away under the snow i found your beneath me beneath me let it go i'll find you you wanted to believe you might survive beneath me beneath you beneath me beneath the snow we hide so while there's not a ton more character here you're still at least you can kind of get a sense of a person about something and it's (laughs) I know. <laughs> what? I know. You can, it sounds, you can, you can like, the think about that. You, you can no. think about that one thing that's yeah. kind of like a stuff. No, yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no, God. I guess what well, I'm trying actually, to say, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I think, is that because his vocals are so much crisper, it feels more grounded as a person, even if what he's saying is still very obscure. If the previous tracks were settings, this feels like a situation. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We don't know who the person is, but this. Instead of just immersing yourself in a landscape that's gorgeous, this is a, this is something that you feel like you might have had in your life. It feels like that that moment in your life where something was going on and and it's like nagging at the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. I can't quite place it, but I, I I I honestly feel like I've been here before. Now, yeah, that said, it's still abstract. I feel like less abstract than the other abstract. I will agree with you that in the music, yes, everything you said, and I feel it, and all that stuff. You but and you can put together your own story, and it feels more precise because the, the musical ideas just feel a little bit more confident in this track. Uh, but yeah, the lyrics are just as vague. Yeah. I'm not going to pull out anything. But I more really than that. like which these is why lyrics. I just try to say we should you know dance on tiptoes when you're talking about message because message really in general uh it, it leads people to believe you're talking about words yeah yeah no there's yeah i'm not talking about message at all here i'm just talking about okay, impre- you, so you said message before uh, yeah yeah i know uh, when i mentioned message earlier i think it's not quite in the same context as we usually do i think here i'm just i was more hinting at the character that there's a, a dude singing and you can kind of picture a dude singing which we hadn't really seen anywhere else. This on is the all record. in the aftermath of our of our word topic, word choice topic, yeah, which yeah, we did yeah, a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, where yeah. I'm going to hypersensitivity to it. All right, let's go to track seven. I'll lead you there, featuring uh, Will Sampson, another vocalist now. And this track is also another one of my favorites because we're getting something fairly stark from the rest of the album. I mean, the the intro here is a straight up guitar intro, like. Like folk song guitar intro. Like, yeah. yeah, it was weird. Guy with a guitar, <laughs> and it and it sits in that place, you know, for thirty to forty seconds. Like it, it lets you kind of steep in it before they bring in this kind of, you know, DJ techno percussion that mixed really well with the guitar and actually 
to me, kind of felt like it changed the timbre of the guitar when it came like in. Kind of like a boom, 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 boom. It kind of like just this, this pattern over and over and over again. It's more toward the low end. That's not the only combination they're doing it here because they also, they also introduce more ambient ooze from mm-hmm. a vocalist on, on one side. And then on the other side, you're getting... Um, female-sounding vocals, glitch style. Like, like as real, if you took a female vocalist and kind of chopped just up, clipped the, up the audio. Yeah, and, yeah uh, really going through the reverb and everything like that. Almost almost like trance level of, like, I'm going to break it down and remix something. But with the female vocalist and the smoother male vocalist, like, working against one another, I love the fact that they can create non-conflict with such opposing ideas. Yeah, and it really kind of gives me a sense of what folk trance would be like, I guess. And it works folk, really it's, well. It's pronounced folktronica. Oh, folktronica, excuse yes. me. Actually, it not fans. No, fans? fans. Fans? Like fancy fans? <laughs> All right. But, but no, I, I think what I really liked about the song is what John just said. You're taking ideas that you would expect to be opposed and they actually blend really well and change your perception of what you're hearing without actually changing the instrumentation that much. It's just how they're mixed. I think that was a really cool trick. It's like a magic trick, and it doesn't stay... Like, this isn't a very long song, so it kind of gives me that ooh-ah moment. I enjoy where I am, and then it's over. And I think that's what I like about it. Is it within the package, it's concise to the point. It doesn't feel short. It feels... It feels complete. It feels I, done. I do yeah. feel like our analysis is a little lax today only because we're not getting really toward the heart of, you know, the evolution of these tracks because it is so sort of left up in the air mm-hmm. and each and every moment does seem a little bit whimsical. So we're kind of just, uh, for me at least, the most important thing here as far as my experience with this album and it is really like the things that, that stand out, like yeah. what I said before about the, the guitar in that moment and then the viola in that moment. Well, here I was actually the combination uh, particularly of like that that low end uh, DJ that like bump 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 that 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 recurring pattern alongside this like light brushing on on the ride, which sort of sounds like I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like this this combination between those two things was really interesting until suddenly as another he reworks in the the layering when you take away something it can sometimes be just as powerful as when something is there three minutes six seconds is about the moment that i noticed the ride the brushing on the ride was gone and now all you have is just those vocal those clipped vocals and the percussion right which is it sounds like for me to just describe it, it doesn't sound like it's anything special, but it's a sound that you had been very accustomed to, I think, for the vast majority of this track, and now that it's gone, you get a sense of e- evolution. I don't know what kind of evolution, but evolution nonetheless. Well, that space that's being left by it, you feel. You can absolutely, because it's kind of been there, you notice that removal. Then true to form, let's go to the lyrics and see if there's anything backing it up. Remember when we saw it faded to the walls? I remember them. See how far you've come, because I can't see it faded to the walls again. See how far you've come. I will lead you there. Uh, no, it's just as fake. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I tried. Vagaries I are to. good. Vagaries are working well. Not always. Not They're working well here. I mean, well, we'll get into that in our wrap-up, but I feel like it's not always working here. But I, but I, I, can, I confess, there have been instances where I hear a, a, a sentence and I'm... It doesn't have to be a complex sentence. It could, it could just... You could think you know what it means until you realize you don't have any context for it, and yet still it may come across as eerily beautiful regardless. I know yeah. I've experienced this in music. Other times, though, 
uh, times when I can't really discern exactly what's different, I've equal times been critical. And then I'm like, that didn't mean anything. Why is it there? If it right. doesn't mean anything, I might as well have just gotten the same thing out of the music itself. So that's the fundamental question I'm asking. Do you think the vocals were necessary here? Yes. I do think that they were they were yes. pretty. Yes. I mean, I, I, my, the necessity to me, I think, comes more from how they sound than what they're saying. I don't feel yeah. like any time on this record, more or less, what's being said really impacts my interpretation or enjoyment. But that said, removing the lyrics as an, uh, the vocals as an instrument, I think, would impact that for me. And that, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm against you. A lot of the lyrics that are more clear-cut, as well as a lot of the vagary lyrics... Uh, that are hard to discern, but you can discern if you listen to them. I just like the phrasing. I just like the fact that they are at their core juxtapositions, just to make you think, just to make you, well, how how does he mean this? What does he mean by these exact words? I like that they are vague and nonsensical, but you can tell he chose them purposely, that he chose them to fit the setting of the music to fit the vocals as they were being presented, they, to me, for the most part, really do mesh up well with the aesthetic of everything else. Okay, so we like them for different reasons. Fine. I mean, poetry can be vague and until you analyze it, um, which makes me want to employ, like, uh, crash chords, next level analysis, phase two. But... I, I don't know where to go with that because once again you can only just start stringing together what I said earlier you start bringing together various different lyrics from like previous tracks you know beneath me under the snow I found you and then all of a sudden here it's remember when we saw it what is it I'll lead you there where is there um faded to the walls what is the is the walls usually a wall is metaphorical for a barrier of some kind but in this case it just seems like it's being shooed off to the side like brushing something away. See how far you've come? Has there been evolution in someone else's life? I'm just so lost at this point. All I know is that there's transition. Yeah, but you can... Uh, and I know that from his write-up. Right, but the open-endedness of it just allows you to put your own there, wall, snow, That's what in he said it. in the beginning. It's getting harder to argue that now. Okay, I guess. Maybe because I, I, I haven't I haven't employed anything of my own uh, in on this. I haven't made maybe. any super impositions. Like I did maybe in the beginning because it was a little bit of shock and awe right then. I'm getting used to the artist. I mean, that but could now be, there's a little bit less of that. There could be that could be more you, a problem with your connection to the art than the art itself, depending on how you look at it. I think. Oh, I mean, by by all accounts, this is up my alley. Right. Right. But like, there's a, there's I, clearly I guess, some kind of disconnect. I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a few years of doing this thing, of doing this maybe. this podcast that is making me just trying. To, I I want to see the next level here, and I'm not sure what it is. Well, let's dive into the next track, and I think st- save more of this deliberation for our wrap ups because we are not done yet, and there is yet more to discuss. Time, we got two tracks left. It's time to start having these discussions. Track eight, when you're gone. Um, slightly more longing because you know when they're gone, you long for them. <laughs> We go back to a sound we got earlier on the record. This is more in the vein of the slow ambient synths we were getting plenty of at the start of the album. As well as waves. This is an yeah. actual sound soundbite showing up. First time, curiously, that a soundbite has shown up for something that I'd almost expect a lot of that to be built into mm-hmm. this album. So, waves. Yeah. Waves are... Coming crashing. down and crashing, but it's like everything else—a very low-key kind of a crash, more of a more of a gurgle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's setting up the an aesthetic that we've gotten a lot on this album, mm-hmm. which is peace, which is sort of just going with the flow. Serenity, so, if you will. It's nothing new. But then we have a revisiting idea that has hasn't been here in a while. The electronic piano kind of a feel shows up. And it starts feeling like a tech orchestra is warming up with just little snippets of noise coming in and sort of building on this very placid stage. I mean, this is a place where I think I would be inclined to agree with Steve that I'm losing some of what I had in the beginning. Maybe not so much with the last track because I think I just like so much of that track. Like, I like the structure of the last track so much and and the instrumentation that I was willing to forgive the kind of losing my grasp on the emotionality. But here for sure, like, this sounds like something we've heard before. I feel the vocals are blending into it too much and not even a standout. It's just they've been in the past. No, no, I'm I'm not done with my sentence yet. And then, you know, I think also for me, the tones and sounds are doing things similar to what we've heard before. I think this track actually, for the first two minutes, uh, saved it a little bit. Not that I'm save is a strong word. I wasn't like I was lost. I was just a little confused at times. But um, I think for the first two minutes, the most interesting thing about this was the lack of percussion. Yeah. Very eerie lack of percussion. It's just screeches and vocals. And I realize some of that, in principle, has been done before, but there was a distinct effort to really pare this down kind of a, a, a beaten effect. Again, I made a joke before, but yeah, all right. Clearly, there's there's a little... He's a little more longing here. Someone is gone. When you're gone, well, this is, these are the words he has to say. When I walked there, you were far away, but I'd rather be somewhere clear, and I cannot sleep when you're gone. When I walked there, you were far away, but I'd rather be somewhere clear, and I cannot sleep when you're gone. It's the same exact lyrics. I, there's no confusion there. Yeah. Those lyrics make perfect sense. There's no... There's no, like, where is the subject or anything. Right. That is just a concise message. So, actually, I feel like I'm a little bit more grounded, especially for, the, for these first two minutes. Um, and, and it makes sense, actually, where they go after those two minutes, because then his signature pitter-patter comes in. A little bit more frantic this time, but at least now, because you have a little bit of context, you have the sense that this frantic pitter-patter is more of the manifestation of his feelings. He can't sleep. He's, he's a little bit stressed. I mean, I guess because it's such a clear-cut message here, whereas before when we were talking about messaging that it was still very up in the air, this seems, like you said, it, it, it feels more grounded. I think I wanted to hear the vocals better. And I'm not saying that the vocals were completely clouded and couldn't understand them. I just, I thought I would have preferred them to step forward more. I, I would say I, I don't see them actually stepping forward more here than anywhere else on the album. Frankly, he's warm. That's what I just Frankly, said. No, no, I'm saying here is where he stepped forward. Oh, 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 here right, they are distinct. It. It's actually very easy to understand him, at least in the first two minutes, two and a half, three right. minutes. I mean, he, he eventually starts doubling on himself, which is actually him repeating lines and mishmashing them together so that they lose cohesion. But... When you have have other lines, and some of these lines I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. How I love you, sinking just like us, searchlights make it stop. Rain gave all I know, you will be my home. That is an actual, like, solid sentiment, like we haven't gotten on this album. It's clear he's actually pronouncing very, very nicely. There's not a whole lot of reverb, and it's deeper register than most of his other work. Here, this is... I'm I'm gonna go and do my my you know metaphor. I'm trying to create everything all and put it together. Idea now. <laughs> You're more than welcome to start. 
in a lot of ways from track one to track eight, we were led up to a solidifying of the character. We get brief glimpses as we go along, but it starts most nebulous and we start of zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. In many ways, I kind of see this as a progression from memories to current state. Sort of like the furthest past is the first track and so on and so forth. It gets more solidified and it gets more coherent as we go along. It's reflected in the lyrics themselves and that they get more expansive as a general rule and more statements and actual thoughts as opposed to just emotive ideas i all right i like that idea but that's what i think uh in a different business they would call circumstantial evidence yes and it is circumstantial and i will actually agree with matt on another aspect there's nothing really quote-unquote new going on here we're going through a lot of the same motions as previous tracks but it feels like this might be the first and in a lot of ways only time we know who the musician is on this album. I think my only issue with your description of the lyrics is that I still feel like on Beneath Our Snow, his vocals were crisper than here. And I think that's what I was trying to say. I think that I would have liked that crispness on this track as well. That said, it's I would even argue that Beneath Our Snow, as much as, and I'm on board with you, if not favorite, second favorite track on the album, uh, that may have been just a defining memory while here this is more the subconscious mutterings like it's clear because it's in the now but it's also subconscious and speaking to something else the the techno beats that keep going up the electronic percussion i feel like that is a subconscious rearing its head i feel like that might be the actual present Still in the past. I mean, this is a transitional piece. There is past, there's present, there's future. Just from the words of the author to this story. Sure, I think I'd be more inclined at this point, though, to agree with Stephen that it is fairly circumstantial. You're pulling a lot of grasping straws. But then again... I don't. I don't feel like I'm really overreaching much here, considering how interpretive it's supposed to be. And also, sure. this is kind of a faux pas in going back to read the artist's words about yeah. the work without having the work speak for itself. Remember, his the sentence went: uh, "The album is supposed to reflect a transitional period in one's life, referencing change in circumstances and in decisions and in relationships with others and evolution as an individual, uh, whether subtle or not." So even just in that sentence, you realize he gave himself a lot of leeway. Yeah. Right? A lot of room for interpretation and error. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. At that point, this was one of the few times I have to say, well, maybe John's sentence is just as good as any. No, yeah. John's okay. interpretation here. Sure. It's all about something fluid and transitional. Uh, it is, after all, carved from tides. So if there's any fluidity here in terms of how you feel at the beginning of this album toward how you feel at the end, um, sort of a yin-yang of each, then, yeah, you're probably right. You could just tell yourself that and feel fine with it. All right, let's dive into the end and talk about the final track on the record. Track nine, Hold On, um, which I think, uh, besides the viola, is the first time, not first time, but another time where we get a physical feeling instrument in sound and in nature. It's a piano, and it's almost, uh, I, I want to say it's its sort of restating a major theme that kind of emerged out of much of this album. I feel like it's like almost 
throwing back to a lot of the previous work, especially in the percussion, the piano lines that show up. That plus the trombone work here, which is also really clear and physical, I think. Though it starts off very slight and dainty. Right. Well, I mean, the whole track has an air of delicacy here. Right. This is the second track with uh, Justin Lee Radford on the trombone, and uh, it definitely felt, it's definitely more prominent here, but it's amidst this, like, light tremolo mm-hmm. backdrop. Um, and even so, that even so, the trombone, it's its probably the most obvious thing. It still feels like it's mixed pretty far back. Yeah. Um, the only second place here, close second, not even close, is the piano, which becomes slightly more important later in the track, I think. Yeah. And not I th- really in the beginning. I think the fact that the trombone also is mixed so far back gives it the air of someone singing from afar. It, the, the kind of the notes it hits and how it comes in and goes, it does feel like vocals to me, like traditional vocals, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting because the song is an instrumental it's the, the final track is instrumental, which using the trombone in that manner, I think, was kind of cool. I think the trombone is an underused instrument. I would agree. <laughs> I think it's very dynamic. And I, and I really like what family. it's done on this record, especially this track. I mean, this track became one of my favorites as well because of that and that unique use of that instrument. There's also a lot of similarities but differences that occur in this track with the rest of the album. Yeah. Little bits like the piano hands off its idea to an electronica beat as we move along. And uh, then we get a sort of not an ABC section but like phase three of the track when all these bones that were being built previously get fleshed out and you really do get into the meat of it you do get into almost an all rise kind of a build where the trombone shows up again and becomes a siren call like it's it did have this little motif that repeated over and over and over, but which I thought was kind of interesting. It was even like, it was five or six layers deep at this point, True. yet distinct, and another nod Which means I have, to, I have to just backtrack a little bit to it after the rhythm really picked up, because once the rhythm picked up, there was another, um, I can't really say another, because I think this is really one of a kind on this album, a, a place where it seemed to seemingly change the, the time signature, but it didn't. I believe it all stayed in four, but our perception was briefly that the rhythmic structure had placed the emphases on different places, more on like the one and the four, uh, but again, that's only because it was slightly more emphatic there. It was still, every beat was present, but it was just, it shifted it around a little bit. It didn't feel as precise as it had been previously. Um, this, like, there's been a lot of rhythmic precision on this album overall, even when things get pretty frantic. It yeah. still all falls within the same, you know, the same loop. And then we're left on the signature tone idea and, um, nod towards the music box once again which just it prevents us from quite leaving at the curtain call that we get with that I guess I want to call it phase three I'm going to call it phase three the the finale of that third phase of this track to really just cement home a very a very sad and a very almost desolate outro it was kind of defined by its bittersweet nature, but it was... I mean, that bittersweetness, me, I think, kind of was layered in throughout the album, too. For me, it was a lot more sweet than just the bitter. Like, mm-hmm. the bitter was an afterthought in a lot of ways. All right, so that's the album. Uh, I suppose it's appropriate that we got an instrumental as the final track on an album that was really hard to figure out from the lyrical standpoint, so he didn't even give us any final thoughts, which I usually like to dwell on in the last track. But anyway, it's monologue time. And I will start, because I drew this short straw this week. Um, Yep. Yeah, well, (laughs) I didn't get a pass. Last week I was so happy I got a pass. He's so pleased. (laughs) I am, actually. All right, go ahead, John. (laughs) 
I want to stand by my previous interpretation that I gave out during When You're Gone. Only because I think the fact that I can make an interpretation like this lends just something to an album to provoke that kind of an idea. It inspired me to come up with, well, this is a guy trying to talk about the past and the future, and because there's no words in Hold On, it would be like him trying to foresee a future in which he maintains himself, but because events haven't happened, there's no words to describe it yet. Blah, 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 we're getting deep again. But... I thought our job last week was to be meta, not this week. No, this one's this one. Well, it's ambient. I mean, there's no, a certain meta nature. Last week we had a story. We basically <laughs> just had to summarize. It'd be the audio book, yeah, the audio the, game. The star. Story. The story was just kind of meta. Yeah. But that's kind of the nature of ambient. It's it's a little bit on the meta side. It's supposed to be provoking. It's supposed to be. Also quiet. It's supposed to guide you, but let you get to your own destination. I mean, it's it's supposed to be wishy-washy. So this album, it is very wishy-washy. It uses two very basic ideas, acoustic, synthesized, and does a beautiful job of marrying the two together without really letting one be distinct from the other, making one feel like an odd man compared to what the other is doing. So for that, I just I have to compliment the musician on his ability to take two things that in history were different from one another, which were considered at odds with one another, and marrying them together and making them feel like natural extensions of one. There are some flaws, and that is the way in which he does these ideas, the way in which he marries these two together. In a lot of ways, he just kind of recycles the themes, not the actual choices of instruments or the textures or the sounds. But when one steps in, after a while, you can predict what it's going to do to the other one. When a piano shows up or a guitar solidifies, you know that... If not right away, then very soon, you're going to get maybe something glitchy techno, or you're going to get something uh, expansive but distinctly electronica. Like that, that might be the biggest critique I have. He goes through the motions in very similar ways for each of these tracks. The motions are beautiful. It's it's a very gorgeous landscape. But without a lot of the identifying elements, you have to transport yourself there. You have to identify with the settings that he's he's creating instead of just the very distinct situations that show up in some of the tracks, like Beneath Our Snow, like even Hold On. I, I really do feel like there's something going on right there. For me, it was a great period on this album. It was a great ending, even a little bit of an epilogue. I... I love so much of it, but I just want further in, just further reaches in being odd, in being off the wall and trying to come up with new ways of of presenting this idea and that line and those builds. Because the builds are gorgeous, but like I said, they're the same sort of builds. So for that, 425. I'm going high on this one. I thought it was very well done and very solid. Just in spite of its pushing music forward and trying to bring two disparate ideas together, I think there's just a lot of growth capable. All right. So for me, I think the the first thing to mention off the top, and it's building on a little bit of what John said, 
I don't think we'll find a more cohesive album ever as far as a sound. Like, this album flows almost too perfectly. What I mean by that is there's no stark take stock moment, which we get on a lot of records. This album, it goes from A to B to C all the way to Z. I don't really have a lot of questions about how it gets there. That feels very natural, which is both great, but also I feel like it defines transition. And this album, instead of transition through strife, which is there a little bit, this is mostly a smooth transition to represent what might not have been a smooth transition. You know, I think this album defines the word transition, which is not a bad thing. But, I mean, you know, the album itself on a, as a whole doesn't have standoutish moments. You know, it's within each track. I think that as far as what Jerome is trying to do and accomplish, I think it's successful. I don't think I'm successfully engaged in it as much as I could be. I think I like it from the moment-to-moment -moment perspective, but at the 10,000-foot view, I do find it lacking. I think it's impressive, the, the mixing, the production, the kinds of things he's doing with what he's working with, but it did, the whole album kind of just left me wanting. I never felt satisfied, and again, Speaking to the art of it, that could be on purpose. Who's ever, if you're going through a transition, you're not necessarily satisfied. On the other end of it, good or bad, you eventually become satisfied with the transition because you're forced to accept it or it's of your decision, so you want to accept it. But either way, there is a, uh, a culmination. Whereas here, even though the final track does feel final musically, I still feel like we're kind of hanging in the air. And again, that could be on purpose. So it's definitely not something I think I'd go back and visit. But if it were on, I wouldn't turn it off. You know. Are I, you kidding? I'm going to grab my snorkel and dive in again. <laughs> I just, I don't get that from this. But but I, I am definitely impressed with the ability and the artistry here. So I'm in the same place. But I don't think it's quite a four for me. It's a 3.95. It's, it's approaching things that I think could do some really incredible stuff, but I guess because it left me wanting, and the strongest thing I can say for it is the actual flow and arc, but there's not a lot to speak to beyond that. And I didn't personally emotionally connect with every track. That kind of left this empty space. All right, so let me start by commenting on something that John said earlier. I have a few points. Uh, first of all, you said something that I completely disagreed with before I agreed with it. Uh, and that was that ambient music is meant to be meta. I immediately said, no, not at all. The ambient music is a tool. Before you went into describing ambient music as the kind of thing, um, and I, first of all, this is not necessarily ambient music, but it right. has shades of it in so many doses throughout that I think it's appropriate to at least address this point. Um, and you said that ambient music can both guide you but at the same time, let you find your own path. Yeah. And I actually thought that was a pretty incredible description of ambient music. It just completely invalidates your prep. It's not. It's not meta in that case. I okay, mean, yeah. a little, a little, a little. But yeah. just, just in that one way. But because it has such a, a hard function, I feel like that would be very strange to anyone who is really familiar with ambient music. You feel like it's not meta at all. It's, it is. It is what you make of it. You know, right. it's not necessarily music trying to tell you anything. Especially considering most ambient music would not even have vocals. So there's that. Um. I think that actually 
at least that second point describes this pretty well. I think a lot of this, you can listen to this album and enjoy it probably in the same way that you would a lot of ambient music. You can let it guide you, try to let it find focus in your life, I suppose. The fact that he, that the music was born out of a kind of transition in the composer means that probably when you're listening to it, you will at least feel that. You'll feel that kind of uh, in-between, that kind of middle ground, that kind of strife that will probably manifest itself in in you in some way. Or maybe you'll only be inclined to pick this up if you're in an, uh, an, an equivalent position. Uh, or maybe you just need the, the therapy, right? That's where it, it sort of guides you along. While at the same time, it's also very obvious that whenever someone is guiding you, it's also usually you trying to guide yourself and find your own path at the same time. So that that is very apparent here. I think it actually does its job. It's just going to be very, you know, from person to person to person. If this is not your bag, then it's not going to do anything for you. Uh, that leads me to a second point, which is what strata do you want to enjoy your music on? I have to confess, uh, just like Matt, I think this album really was... Um, a solid piece front to back. I don't think there was any, very few hiccups, especially in terms of track placement or track arc. I do think he left himself, once again, a lot of doors open so that he could compose this in such a way that maybe people like me and Matt would just automatically think that, because at the end of the day, it feels so right. Um, but again, that's something that's a little bit left up in the air. You know, maybe you could rearrange these tracks. I think it overall was very well composed, though. Even just the idea of which to compose this in such a way is takes a little bit of talent. Um, but back to the Strata point. Remember, I picked this album, uh, picked the artist because of the soundtrack that we listened to last week. The soundtrack to Life is Strange. And it stood out in a crowd in a big way because the because it gave me something that... I think was really superior to that soundtrack. Like, there was a lot of folk indie tracks, right? And I think they were fine in their own right, but this elevated me to a new strata, so to speak. But now I have the album, and I think as a whole, he was incredibly consistent. In this way, this is very different from, let's say, uh, episode 206 and 207 back-to-back. That's uh, Stranger Things Have Happened by Claire McGuire and Stranger to Stranger uh, by Paul Simon. Both of the Strange albums, right? And those were albums that we saw specific tracks in them that stood out in a big way and contrasted against all this fluff, right? Stuff in the, in the middle that we just felt was lagging, but there were definitely brilliant tracks in the album. They just didn't comprise the overall piece. Well, here, it's the exact opposite. It's a consistent slab of one thing that is, in general, really good. But once you have something that is consistently really good, then where are those moments? Where are those moments to actually send shivers down your spine if it's one giant... Shiver. After a while, I have to confess, the shiver faded. It did. Um, I am left with maybe picking out minor little things, and I mean really minor, such as the viola flourish, such as the guitar moment, but they're really thin. So <laughs> that makes, leads me to a position where I don't know where to put this. I think that it, it probably has many of the opposite pros and the opposite cons as those two aforementioned albums that would put me in the same ballpark, except that I think... Because the album is a little more consistent, I have to give it credit for being a little bit more listenable. It did strike the right chords in enough moments that I think I have to land this as an album that is a solid four. Lyrics, I'm just leaving them to the door. Because that's our discussion. We had a couple of things to say about the words that were said today. And... 
and it was mostly because they were weird, odd, poor phrases, or maybe just too obtuse to really understand that well. Maybe because Crash Chords failed today at lyrics. No, because this is the discussion we're going to have. How obtuse is too obtuse? Is there an extent that you can go to where you have to just throw up your hands and going, okay, no, now he's not even trying anymore. And we've had those points on the show. And to be fair, yeah, we have had that discussion in some sense, but we haven't had uh, an album where the lyrics were not just obtuse, but they were seldom, and they were few and far apart, which makes you wonder what the point of the lyrics are in those instances, In except it's just to give you a shade of something, or that they can only be made sense of at the end. So, remember when I uh, made that little uh, proposition earlier in the album that you, you well, you theoretically have to read all these lyrics back to back and they would amount to perhaps one normal song's lyrics? I'm going to try that right now, and we're going to see what we get. So here are all the lyrics of Card from Tides, and I will not even pause for uh, the the individual tracks. I'm just going to read them straight through uh, without repetition. We saw the fire before we heard our names. I saw yours behind the trees again. Don't let me in. Don't let me in. I wanted to come down and fall in you. I wanted to slow down and carve into and I'm spinning higher, and I'm spinning higher without you. Say full of love, say full of love, and you run off and you go. When we talked about where we'd go, never thought of how we'd run. And you run off and you go, and you run off and you go. Beneath me, beneath you, beneath me, under the snow I found you. Beneath me, beneath me, and you're away, under the snow I found you. Beneath me, beneath me, let it go, I'll find you. You wanted to believe you might survive. Beneath me, beneath you, beneath me, beneath the snow we hide. Don't you, don't you wait, don't you wait. Remember when we saw it faded to the walls? I remember them. See how far you've come, cause I can't see it, faded to the walls again. See how far you've come, I will lead you there. When I walked there, you were far away, but I'd rather be somewhere clear, and I cannot sleep when you're gone. Now you go, and stay one more day, and it's all right, and you're racing away, how I love you, how I love you, sinking just like us, searchlights made it stop, rain gave all I know, you will be my home. Okay, so we have that now. I feel like... That's a thing. That's a thing that just happened on the show. So, I feel like, personally, to first take a crack at this, I don't feel like those lyrics, even read together and strung together, it doesn't give me anything more than what Steve read from Bandcamp from the composer. You know, he describes his own transition in life and mentions relationships and this and that. It does seem like that was more concise, wasn't it? His explanation. Right, and so I I don't feel like I'm getting anything more from the lyrics than wasn't already given to me from that description. Now, that said, if we didn't have that description, I probably would have gotten there from what Steve writes. And so, that's the whole album. That's the lyrical content of the album itself. So I feel like that's not... Not terrible that I can get to the same place with so few lyrics that as his description, even without the description, I just, I don't know where that leaves me as far as the importance of the lyrics. Isn't that ironic that that for all those lyrics, right, which if you were just to isolate them in the course of a track, it would seem like, well, that's brevity right there because it's so short, but you didn't get anything from it, so it can't really be described as brevity because by brevity implies that a lot of meaning has, yeah, has been derived from that. But instead, true brevity was his own album description. Yeah. In this case, for this specific album, it's, it's hard to take away the lyrics as weird as they can be 
or in my ears, I do think that most of them are beautiful, without the context that they're in and without the inflection or even just the vocal style that's being used, whether there's a lot of reverb or whether it's a high pitch versus a low pitch or so on. Sometimes it's only important in the moment it's being uttered in that track. Like that's the only time it could ever be important because the meaning is just so connected to everything else that's going on. It's yeah, okay, so you're below me and there's snow and things like that. Like, you can easily make fun of a lot of these ideas, but in the presentation of Beneath Our Snow, like poetry, like that's just pretty. Poetry that's just that beautiful. would come out of one's journal, like, they, they clearly mean something to the composer. Right. And I even said, yeah, just Beneath Our Snow. I mean, objectively, I just think it's a beautiful title. It does conjure up images, you know, beneath our snow, it seems of something that is kept safe and secure, you know, for referring back to later, something that will, that you trust not to leave, um, that is inaccessible, but there. It seems, that feels, it feels comforting in some way. There's so much comfort in that title, and I do think that comfort extended into the music of that song, um, but it's just that the lyrics, I think in most cases on this album, tended to make me more confused. I mean, I think that if you focused on the lyrics they did for me, but otherwise I accepted them as part of the instrumentation most of the time and was able to glean a lot of the um, thoughts and emotions from the instrumentation. I think that... I looked at them I looked at them this way. Like, they were just the gentle nudges of the rudder trying to keep us on track here. Like, that's what their main job was. Just to keep us focused on the the scenery itself and keeping us within the same sort of realm as what the musician was coming up with. Because, yeah, taking them outside, when you start actually taking them apart and looking at them word by word, um, Crabber Locker Fishwife, Pornographic Priestess, Boy, You've Been a Naughty Boy, You Let Your Knickers Down. I mean, this I Am the Walrus is a prime example of nonsense. I'm going to tell you you something that that has that this doesn't. And this is not coming from blind love for the Beatles, right? I actually, again, I think this is probably even, that this is clearly taking me musically probably more places than I Am the Walrus takes me. Um, It's just, well, that they're not really comparable. They're two completely different things. But I do have to say that at least has a kind of meter that I find really, really innovative. Like if those lyrics weren't there, it would change the meter. The meter itself, the alliteration, all the poetic tools of that, despite that the meaning is... is, is a non-entity, I think that is a well-written verse. But a lot of these things, I, I, I don't think that it has the poetry. Like, I don't find a lot of poetry in Beneath Me, Beneath You, Under the Snow I Found You, and Your Way Under the Snow I Found You, Let It Go, I'll Find... It, they're utterances. You know, it, it doesn't strike me as being particularly poetic. I mean, I would feel like those... Okay, but... And this is why I said I'll leave this at the door, because I find I, I, I can barely do anything with these lyrics here. They're almost a non... Like, I don't want to say that they're, I'm dragging the album down for this. I left it at a solid four, but I'm not necessarily... I'm certainly not adding uh, to the album's rating as a result of these lyrics. But when you look at something like... You're going to... I'm going to argue that I'm the Walrus is a better track. Yeah, I love that song. But a song like that... Lennon wrote that song with the intention of being as poetically obtuse as humanly possible. He did it to, in one hand, do something that's, you know, just, like, really off the wall. On the other hand, he did it because he wanted to piss off fans and make them pour over these words and try to figure out what nonsense Yeah, his finger up to people like us. But something like... 
like I am the walrus, we hail as a benchmark of just genius because it's I am the walrus. It is something that in its nonsense I, well, hold makes on a second. Sense. It is not a benchmark of genius. Yeah. You're, you're assuming that there's a little too much consensus surrounding that song. There are yeah. a lot of people that thought it was nuts when it was released yes. and still think it's nuts It's today. not okay. by, by I, and, any measure one of my favorite Beatles yeah, songs. And then, yeah, beyond that, then there's the people who think it's just simply kitschy, being like, oh, well, that's it. That's, it's, it's something you should know from pop culture, but they don't necessarily put it on a pedestal. And then there are, after that, there are the people that do think it's brilliant because they're just people who have a penchant for surrealism. Well, yeah, and I think Steve's argument and yours are apples and oranges because Steve is simply saying that the, he's agreeing that the lyrics there are not important. What he's agreeing with is that them not being there at all would be a problem because they're adding meter to the song that couldn't possibly be there without the lyrics. And I would say that with today's album, like as a whole, I couldn't picture it without the words. And I, I really, I couldn't, for as little as, as he was a presence, the, the, I don't know what to call him because he was such a little presence, but the ghost that shows up and says things to us during uh, Carved from Tides is still important enough to be included. I couldn't, I couldn't see it even hitting me the same way with without the words. I mean, I think that I'm somewhere between you and Steve, ultimately with this album and with lyrics like this in general. I feel like what's being said specifically means less to me than just the kind of affectation that they take and stuff like that. And that the words could be changed and you could use similar words with a similar meaning without maybe the same words and still get the same idea across. But that said, I would... If if the if the question is, would this be the same without the lyrics? I would lean towards John and say no, it would not be the same. However, would this be the same without the same lyrics? That's more nebulous for me. I think I am definitely leaning toward the idea that these lyrics may could not have been here. Um, obviously, you'd have to do a little bit more to balance everything. In the absence of the lyrics, you'd have a little bit of some holes here and there, which I still think would be fine, but I think you could probably insert another instrument in there doing something pretty simple, right? And you'd probably still get the overall same emotion uh, in this album. I think you get the same emotion from the music, the absolute same thing. But context matters for me a little bit too much, I guess, for this album. Because I'll take the first line we hear. Oh, wait, let me just interrupt this with one one little thing. Before you go into that analysis, just consider the fact that, by all accounts, we did this a little bit wrong. I mean, think about it. We had... We pulled two faux pas. We listened to a soundtrack that gave us the idea of a certain storyline in mind that could have theoretically planted an emotion in our head, right? That we could have subscribed to the artist so far. It didn't really work. I'm, not, I'm just taking this at face value. Secondly, I read the uh, his description of the album, his personal feelings which before we how... actually which can color how we think. And yet, both of those things did not necessarily uh, color me in any way. I still am coming to the same conclusion. It could have been here or not. So context is is actually a non-entity again. But see, that, for you, but for me, in this case, right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the first lines. We saw the fire before we heard our names. I saw yours behind the trees again. Just off the cuff, being somewhat comedic about it, but honestly, talking about the interpretations of just these two lines. Uh, before the show, first one I came up with, we saw the fire before we heard our names, meaning before we even spoke to one another for the first time, we saw the passion behind each other's eyes. And that's what that next line, I saw yours behind the trees again, the passion 
behind those eyes, just deep inside of your mind. Or you could take it another way. We saw the fire before we heard our names. There was the actual cataclysm that comes up about this before we were warned it was going to happen. It came out of left field. But I felt that passion in the viola vibrato before those words were mentioned. And that's where I felt the passion, and that's where I, that's what I carried. That's the feeling that I carried to the rest of the album. But I would argue that doesn't mean these words can still be removed. They're merely building upon that theme you found in the viola. They're merely adding to it at that point. Even if all you're getting is the emotion behind it or the nebulous idea behind just the the vocals themselves, I mean, they're still adding to it. And in this case, these words, without really delving deep into them, I came up with two definitions Uh, or me and Matt came up with two definitions in the span of a couple of minutes. Something like that provokes more thought and allows you to view this album and songs like this and obtuse pieces like this in multiple lights because the interpretation, when you start defining words and getting into nuances and things like that, it allows you to to use this, oh, okay, it's a sad story. Well, no, maybe it's angry. Well, maybe it's happy and just forlorn. Like, it, it, it shines different lights. All right, are you saying that you don't need meaning uh, in, in just about every... It, throughout music, do you not need meaning? Is that just a... Provocative obtuseness can be as important as something that's a defined, heartfelt story. I agree that it has the capacity to expand your mind based on you having to do a little bit of work, meaning just having to use your brain, think, you know, think of possibilities based on the lyric that doesn't immediately leap out in front of you. I, 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 that's the kind of stuff that I really, really dig. I think that's what poetry can do. But I don't think this is necessarily an example of that. I think most of these are... I, I, it almost feels like they're trying to get at something specific concerning various different transitions, life transitions, whether it's about a person or whether it's about a place, a thing, a job transition, whatever it is. But it almost sounds like the sentence is incomplete or like the paragraph is incomplete, you know? But once again, under the snow, I found you beneath me, beneath me. I found you beneath me um, under the snow. That, like, there was a train of thought that led him to that, right? But we don't have the train of thought. Right. We have the that. Right. And that probably was in a, a, a journal entry or diary entry. Again, all postulation. But that is what it feels like to me. And I do feel that if you get the last line in a train of thought without actually getting the train of thought, it is a little bit purposeless, albeit, you know, giving room for a myriad of authors that have tried to do the same thing. But usually I feel that context has been employed. There's so little content here. Once again, there's not a lot of words, so you don't have a lot to bank off of to understand where the character was at a particular moment and to justify I, a course see, of action or a phrase. In this case, and I thought we were I thought we were at this place, but I don't think that we were meant to understand the author and the character here. I, the lyrics on this album are kind of twofold in that for the musician, for message to bears, they have very specific meaning to them. But at the same time, they're more designed to be interpreted for the listener, to allow them to go along with the flow, to put themselves 
in these settings, in this scenery, and to drift along with it. We said that was one of the main goals from the just like the first few tracks, like we're drifting along, we're experiencing it. Well, the words are facilitating this as well, while allowing Message to really explain himself to himself in a lot of ways. So I would say that the words are chosen with extreme care, and I, and I, I understand that here. I think that it's safe to say that the argument that the two of you are having as I being in the middle kind of have less to contribute because I am not one way or the other. But I think the consensus here is that this music was well crafted to get you to think. This is not lazy man's music. You cannot, you can listen to it as ambient music that's kind of in the background, but if you listen to it actively at all, you have to do the work. You have to interpret however you will, whether it would well, be by just the music and the lyrics seem less important or by the lyrics and the music. But you do have to do the work. I may be arguing that there's a little bit of laziness in the lyrics, I don't know. But see, um, I would I would still say or that. Not, that, not that the laziness, that's the wrong term for it, but that they are a, a little bit impulsive. Impulsive, sure, but there's no laziness here. I, would, I think there's careful deliberation. I would, accept, I would accept the argument that laziness might not be too far off, but like you said, some of these tracks could definitely have been expanded upon to be two, three, four times their, lay, their length. I... Poetry like this, I would have definitely enjoyed an expansion three, four, five, ten times its length right. to really flesh out ideas and maybe a little bit more fully, even if they were still vague and obtuse and really not doing much more than, you know, giving you color so you could draw on your own lines. All right, I hear you. And I think maybe certainly the, the phrase laziness goes a little bit too far just because we can't discern you know, it, like I said, there are next levels of analysis. There's phase two, there's phase three. Sometimes sometimes we go farther than we should, and then sometimes we don't go far enough. It's possible that we're not going far enough here. Um, so far, what I see are lines that paint the picture of specific feelings, but I feel that it was a little bit unsuccessful to me in actually conveying those specific feelings. I think that was far more uh, effective uh, and affected by the music. And I think that that's just where I kind of land with this. But I guess then the last question I'll pose is, do you feel that that a diary entry can be rated alongside um, a great work of fictional literature? Yes. Yeah. Hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. Easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the journal entry, but I mean... I, I imagine that people can write incredible pieces of writing in their journals, especially when it's truly personal like that. Yeah, I would. I mean, and even regardless of intent. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a case by case basis. You, can, it's almost impossible to make a broad stroke like that without saying yes, because there are opposite ends there's, of the spectrum for everything. I have to assume. I can think of one really big example, like the Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, yeah, that's right. kind of like, but on but the it's nose, also but, well, it's because it's also surrounds it surrounds the circumstances of the time. Sure, right. So I feel like it's because of the historical Can't context. Stop her from but, being an oh, yeah. excellent, absolutely. But but and you didn't and, and the original question you posed doesn't have circumstances. You just said A and B. Can they be compared? And the answer is yes. And we just proved that it can be by Actually, using that diary as an example. So. Yeah, I already had that in mind. Oh, okay. I, just, I, I guess I guess I'm trying to to decipher 
I think good music leaves you with questions. And I think this yeah. is good music because it left you with questions. And I think that's ultimately what I wanted to bring up is it's not often we have an album that spurs a discussion. And this one did. And I think if nothing else, it did its job because it did that. Yes, we've had a lot of albums where I walk away with a lot of questions. And I'm very glad that I'm walking away with those questions because they're usually very provocative questions. The only problem I have here is they're not provocative questions. They're just questions. Okay. I mean, but and I think where me and John are coming from, John more so, is that they are provocative questions. Yeah. They just weren't provocative to you. All right. When Which you, comes to personal interpretation at that point. Well, when you yeah. finish a novel, the next time you're confused, right, then just leave room that it may still be a great novel. You're just confused. Yeah. That's, that's actually it. not a bad point. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, the criticism is just melting away then, isn't it? No, there's still plenty of criticism. I mean, we spent hours doing it. It's just the summation is still a giant question well, mark. All right. Well, my opinion still stands regarding this album. And that is the music is good in spite of the lyrics. Fair enough. All right, uh, before we get into what I picked for uh, next week, I want to uh, give a shout-out to one of our Twitter followers who um, has brought up this band before because he loves our reviews of this band. That band, of course, is Steam Power Giraffe. Um, Sir Ryan Lehugh, at the Ryan Lehugh, no spaces, on Twitter, tweeted um, about a week ago from when you're hearing this, all right, Ash, at Crash Chords Web, Quintessential by Steam Power Giraffe is upon us. You know what to do. <laughs> I mean... I thought you were going to say, all right, Ashtrays, <laughs> now you know what to do. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, if there had been never been a more direct listener request than this, that it's expected of us. He's requesting it, but more or less it's... You're going to do the thing, so do the thing. And yeah. I love that. We I are going to do the thing. So thank you for tweeting about it. I wasn't prepared to do the thing. <laughs> we did it three why, times. Yeah, but we're going to be doing the thing next year. And that's what you got to know. We're actually going to hold off on Steam We've got Power a new draft. rule. One Steam Power Draft album per year. Oh, yeah. God. Which it used to probably is going to, to sort of stack up to how often they release albums. I suppose yeah. so. And didn't people used to bemoan that it took them like five years to come out with an album? Now they're doing one every, you know fiscal year it feels like it yeah yeah which is cool but anyway maybe slow down just a little bit ryan thank you for writing <laughs> we will get around to it but now it'll also be attributed as a listener request but just mm. i wouldn't hold your breath this year well at least i won't have to pick it this time that's true yeah um speaking of picks though let's talk about mine which is schmilko by wilco um the band wilco is a band that I think the three of us are all kind of tangentially aware of, but neither none of the three of us are actually big fans of. I've heard songs by theirs, although I'd be hard-pressed to name the songs. Um, my biggest connection recently is I just finished the final season of Parks and Rec, and the lead singer of Wilco pretends to be the lead singer of a fake band, which I think is comprised of Wilco, though I'm blanking on that band name, in Parks and Rec. Anyway, um, I don't know, honestly, what drew me to this was the ridiculousness of the name that they were just sitting in a room going, what are we going to call our album? Ah, Schmilko. Like, it seems very nonchalant, and so that intrigued me. It's probably me. Schmilko. Wilco Schmilko. It probably just sounds like something that they've been saying for years and years right. and years. Like, are we going to get together for the Wilco rehearsal? Eh, Wilco Schmilko. Yeah. So, I'm intrigued. I, like I said, I, I am somewhat familiar with the band, and so that's what we're going to take on next week. And so, with wrapping everything up, remember, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. 
To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Course Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.